Okay, so today's Torah and tea, we want to talk about um, two par- two aspects of it. We'll, the Parsha, of course, is Vayishlach this week. And on this coming Shabbos is the 19th day of Kislev. Kislev 19. So we're going to talk about the beginning of the Parsha, of course, is that Yaakov sent messengers to his brothers Esau. As you know, the story that after uh, Yaakov spent uh, 20 years in with Lavan, with his uncle Lavan, his mother's brother, and he uh, deceived him, and notwithstanding all of the difficult time that he gave him, he was able to eventually come out with a beautiful family, and eventually he escaped as we read in the end of last week's Parsha. And as soon as uh, he got over this one situation, so now he has to deal with his brother Esau. As you remember, originally he ran away uh, from his brother because he took the blessings from the father Yitzchak, tricked it out, basically plotted together with his mom, with uh, Rivka, and um, he uh, got his brother so angry that he wanted to kill him because he snatched away his blessings that he was going to get. And they advised him to leave. And now it's already more than 20 years later. And according to uh, the commentaries, actually there was another 14 years which Yaakov was in yeshiva. So we're talking about 34 years later. And his brother is still full of rage. And as he hears him leaving uh, Lavan, his uh, place where he spent the time, and maybe while he was by Lavan, he was afraid, I guess, to start up with him because Lavan was there, the whole family was there. I'm not sure exactly what motivated Esau to wait all this time. But finally, when Yaakov is leaving uh, Lavan and he's heading home, he encounters Aesop, his brother. Now, originally, he came with the 400 men, and he was going to wage war on Yaakov, as we see. Yaakov prepared himself for various, for a gift, for prayer, for war. He was ready for all things that necess- as if necessary. But, at the end, last minute, Aesop sort of broke down, and he hugged his brother, he kissed him, they made up. But at first, our parsha begins with the words, Vayishlach Yaakov Malachim. He send. The word Malachim means messengers. Or, Malachim can mean angels. Why are Malachim called messengers? Why are Malachim angels called Malachim messengers? Because the purpose of these angels are they're messengers of Hashem. They go ahead in the mission that Hashem sends them. That's what they do. So that's why they're called Malochim. So the word Malochim really contains both interpretations. It could mean an angel. It can also mean a messenger. It's not very clear in the Pasuk itself. It's not very clear were these messengers. It's fitting in the uh, context of the story. We know that 
Yaakov was trying to send to his brother that he is giving him the gift and he's trying to make up with him. So really both interpretations would be acceptable, whether he sent angels as his uh, messengers or he sent other as his messengers. That would be okay in the text. So we'll see in a minute what Rashi says. But that's why I say these messengers that Yaakov sent. That's the one thing that we're going to discuss in the beginning of the Parsha. And the other thing we're going to discuss in the Parsha is going to be the um, the other thing we'll discuss in the Parsha is that we have today coming up on Shabbos is going to be the 19th day of Kislev. And we're going to try to find, see a connection that the Rebbe makes between the Parsha of Vayishlach and the Kislev 19. So first let's talk about what happened on Kislev 19. So what happens on Kislev 19? What happened on Kislev 19? Again, it's coming up this Shabbos. Uh, when we will be reading this portion of Ayishlach and the Torah. So there should be a connection between the Parsha and the Heaven. So what happened on Kislev 19? So number one, the Magid of Mezrich. His name was Rabbi Dovber. Who was the Magid of Mezrich? The Magid was Mezrich is the replacement for the Baal Shem Tov. We all know that the Hasidic movement was introduced by the Baal Shem Tov. The Magid of Mezrich, Rabbi Dov Ber, he, after the passing of the Baal Shem Tov, he became the head of the Hasidic movement. Now, the uh, Baal Shem Tov had a son. And for one year, the son became the leader. But after one year, the son said that his father came to his dream and he told him, with everybody's agreement, that the most fitting person to take over the Baal Shem Tov would be Rabbi Dov Ber, would be the Magid of Mizrich. You see, this is, these people were very great scholars and great uh, tzaddikim. They didn't show themselves as being uh, boastful and everything to try to build themselves up. Look, he calls himself the Magid. A Magid means a preacher. The preacher, of the Magid of Mizrich, the preacher of Mizrich. But a preacher is, you know, anybody can be. He doesn't say, he called himself the Magid of Mizrich. And he was the one that took over after the Baal Shem Tov. Now, there was a lot of opposition. We talked about it at the time. At the time, with the introduction of the Hasidic movement, the ideas, some of the Hasidic ideas, there was a lot of there's a lot of objections to it. So they needed a strong leader. The son of the Baal Shem Tov didn't feel that he can sort of stand up to all the challenges that were um, the, the street by the rabbis, by the uh, other groups. It was Rabbi Dov Ber who was chosen to lead the Jewish community. So he passed away on the 19th day of Kislev, 
1772. That's when he passed away. Which, by the way, his great disciple, uh, the Alter Rebbe, even though the Alter Rebbe was one of the younger disciples, but he ended up being a favorite of Rabbi Dovber. Um, Rabbi, some of the students said that while everybody drank from the same well, so to speak, the same plate, they all had the Rabbi Dovber as their teachers, but they said like Rabbi Shneir Zalman, the Alter Rebbe, known, the Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Shneir Zalman, he had the Knedlach, he had the, <laughs> the, the, uh, the, the matzah balls, in other words, he, he sort of got the best of the soup. He didn't just get the regular soup. And he was, uh, even though he was very young, and he came later, but yet he was very uh, respected, and the Magid of Mizrich loved him. The Alter Rebbe, for many years, only had daughters. He didn't have any sons. And he wanted a son very, very badly. So he went to the... Uh, Rebbe, his Rebbe, Rebbe Dovber, the Magid of Mizrich, and he asked him for a blessing for a son. And he quoted him a, a verse, and it's very interesting, a verse that says that he sort of a play on words, How do you merit getting a son is by inviting guests. If you're inviting guests to your home, then you get a blessing from Hashem to have a son. So, it happened that he passed away in 1772. The next year, in 1773, the blessing that he gave on that year before his passing to the Alter Rebbe came true. And the Alter Rebbe had a son in 1773 that he named Dovber. The second Lubavitch Rebbe is named Dovber. He's named after the Magid of Mizrich. That was the son that was blessed by Rabbi Dovber. So, the Kislev 19 is the day of passing. We know the day of passing of a tzaddik is not a sad day. In essence, you know, of course, uh, tzaddik's passing, we love the tzaddik, we want the tzaddik to be with us, but we know that when a tzaddik passes, especially a Jewish leader passes away, he doesn't just leave us behind. In a way, when he's alive, he's restricted by his physical abilities. But when he passes away, he can actually reach even further, deeper, because he doesn't have any restrictions anymore, doesn't have any limitation. The situation is, while you're in your physical body, you still have the restrictions, limitations. So therefore, uh, it's known that when a tzaddik dies, uh, passes away, he doesn't leave us. He doesn't leave his his flock sort of on, uh, you know, just like that. But he actually ends up taking care of them. And the passing of a tzaddik is called the Yom Hilula. It's a very special day in which his uh, good deeds and everything that the tzaddik did, the Delta Rebbe explains in the Tanya um, how special it is. So therefore, on this day, 19th of Kislev, when it was the passing 
of Rabbi Dov Ber, it's still, even though it's passing, but it's still considered a day to remember, a day to connect, a day to reflect. That was the teacher of the Alter Rebbe. In 1809, the Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Schneir Zalman, was released from prison. Now, I said before, so you see, that there was... Um, some years that passed uh, between the passing, right? It was like 36 years between them. Between the, uh, the Magid of Mizrich once said to the Altarebbe that this day is our holiday. In other words, he shares the holiday with his teacher because he passed away in 1772. And the, the Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Shneir Zalman, was released from prison in 1809 on the same Hebrew date of Kislev 19. Kislev 19 therefore became a main holiday celebration in the Hasidic uh, communities, in the Lubavitch community. Kislev 19 is the one sort of greatest holiday. The Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Shneir Zalman, he was the founder of Chabad. And his release from prison was taken as a, an approval from above that the Rebbe's teachings and the Rebbe's ideas and the Rebbe's philosophy is something which is important and will carry through. So, as you know, the Alter Rebbe was imprisoned because there was slander against him that... Uh, various different things that they came up against the Alter Rebbe. And sometimes, you know, the infighting within the Jewish community gets out of hand that they turn to the authorities, they turn to the to the uh, Goetia officials who are not even uh, have any real ideas or knowledge of what's going on in the Jewish community. And they turn, they get them involved in order to settle their own differences. So, uh, known as the Mesnagdim, the opposition, those who opposed the Alter Rebbe, they came and slandered the Alter Rebbe. And they succeeded for them to arrest the Alter Rebbe, and he was in a lot of danger of, um, you know, losing this uh, this, this, this battle uh, with the Mesnagdim. So, in the inner matter of things, this was always taken not as a uh, just a something happens. Nothing happens just in the world like that. This was taken. This is some spiritual reason why the Alter Rebbe was incarcerated. What's going on? And the Alter Rebbe actually spoke to the Magid of Mizrich, you know, in a spiritual level after his passing. Already, he came to visit him together with the Baal Shem Tov in the prison and he said why do I deserve this why am I in prison for what and they said that there is a criticism on the spiritual world because you are revealing and you are spreading such lofty spiritual hidden ideas that are not meant really for the ordinary people to um study, to learn. And there's a big criticism. And that's why you are imprisoned, to stop you. 
So the Alter Rebbe asked them, does that mean that if I get out, so I should stop? He says, no. Now that you started, don't stop. Don't, you should continue. Not only continue, but with more force than before. There's a very known story. These are all fantastic stories about uh, Mashiach was visited by the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov himself writes this. That's the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of Chassidim. He had Elias Neshama. That means his soul went up above the spiritual world. And he came to the chamber in where Mashiach was. And he asked Mashiach the question that we all have. When will you come? When is Mashiach going to come? They, so the Baal Shem Tov, in his uh, elevation on the spiritual level, came to the room of Mashiach and he asked him, when, Master, when will you come? And he answered him, he said, When your well springs, meaning the teaching of Hasidus of the Baal Shem Tov, will be spread out. The word Yafutsu means they will be in a large format out there. Your wellsprings, the wellsprings that he refers to those teaching of Hasidus, that's when I will come. The Alter Rebbe said that after the release from prison in 1809, Ayutas Kislev, that's when it really began in earnest, the spreading out of Hasidus. The Alter Rebbe used to live in a small town, or in a town, I shouldn't say small, I'm not sure exactly, called Lyozhna. In Lyozhna, that was before he was arrested. Over there, it was limited, his influence. But after he went out of prison, they moved to a new city called Liadi. And over there, the, the, the governor of Liadi was very, very impressed and very friendly to the Alter Rebbe. And they built a shul and they built houses. And all the Hasidim came there. It was really, until the war with Napoleon, who came and then the Alter Rebbe had to flee. And then, unfortunately, he passed away on Chavdala Tevis in uh, after that, but those were years that the Alter Rebbe was able to teach, to bring his energy and learning and holiness to the masses and uh, unprecedented. That was the real Yafutsu Ma'inesecha So by Hasidim, the Kislev 19, Yutas Kislev, this Shabbos, is considered to be a major, major Hasidic holiday. The one holiday, because that was taken as the day in which the Rebbe was approved from above that he should continue in his ways, and this is going to lead the path of the Mashiach. So this uh, 19th day of Kislev is two things, as we mentioned. We have the passing of Dover, and we also have that the Alter Rebbe was released. So now we're uh, going to connect this somehow to the Parsha. So what does it say in the Parsha? So we read. This is portion of Ayishlach. It's chapter 32, verse 4. That's the beginning of our portion of Ayishlach. So it says, Vayishlach Yaakov Malochim Lefonov El Esov Ochiv 
Yaakov sends sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esav. To Mount Seir, in the field of Edom. That's where Esav lived. So he sent them towards him. Okay, so as we mentioned earlier, it says that he sent messengers. Rashi explains, and he says, Rashi interprets, who are these Malachim? Who did he send? So Rashi says immediately, if you see, Rashi says, Malachim Mamash. These were actually angels, Rashi says. These wasn't just uh, messengers, human beings. And it's it's amazing. These were actual angels, not regular messengers. It, it's actually amazing that Yaakov had to his disposal these angels. You know, we read before, he saw the angels flying up and down. Not only did he see them in his dream, but he couldn't send them. You know, most of the time we know that Hashem sends angels. We don't know of people. Yeah, we do have stories uh, different than the, the, in, in the Tanakh, but generally speaking, angels are reserved for missions that Hashem sends them. In this case, Rashi says that he sent them Malochim Mamash. I'm not going to go into the Meforshim, the, 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 the commentaries on the Torah, wonder why Rashi actually has to say this, that these were actually angels. Uh, why can't we say they were messengers? I mean, if he was trying to convey to his brother, uh, why would he have to use messengers? Why was it necessary? But the bottom line is, Rashi says, Malochim Mamash. He actually said angels. So, there was actually the Magid of Mezrich, as he was laying on his last on his deathbed, so to speak, before he passed away. It was on the Kislev 19, right? And it was also the Parsha Vayishlach. And he made an interesting play on the words. Literally, Malachim Mamash means actually Malachim, actually angels, not... But he, he interprets it, he says, Malachim Mamash, meaning he only said, send the mamash of the malachim. Basically, an angel has the spiritual part of the angel, but an angel also has sort of his physical part, which means whatever the relative to that spiritual part. So he he almost says that the mamash of the angels he sent, but the actual angels remained back home, remained with with Yaakov. He didn't fully send them. He sent them, but only he sent like almost like a part of them. And the Rebbe explains this. This is a whole long explanation. The Rebbe explains this. That in essence, uh, this represents Yaakov having to deal with Esau represents really our life as well, that we have to sometimes confront, you know, the Esau's in our lives. You know, we have 
outside forces that sometimes try to hurt us. Sometimes we have inside forces, our own insecurities, our own uh, worries, our own little uh, issues that we have, and we have to confront, just like Yaakov had to confront his brother Esau, so you have to confront, and maybe sometimes you have to sort of engage, you have to send a messenger, or as the Rebbe puts it, that the Rebbe, the previous Rebbe, and the Rebbe sent uh, Hasidim, Shluchim, people in communities, and they have to confront various different challenges that they meet on their way, and they have to sort of take them on. So, what the Rebbe says, the person should only, you know, when you're sending, you should only send only part of you over there. In other words, keep yourself and your spiritual level on a higher place. Don't fully descend. While we have to navigate and negotiate with the world, with the other side, we need to do various different things, but only externally, only mamash, the mamash, but internally, always remain connected. The malach, you have a malach in yourself, you have like your angel, that's your spirituality. And then you have your needs, that's your physicality, that's your mamash. The malach of you, don't send it away. In other words, keep your higher levels. In simple words we can say like this, that while we have to engage in the ways of the world all the time, uh, we need to eat, we need to drink, we need to go to business, we need to work, we need to, we need to be part of the world. But only our external part should be engaged in that. Our spiritual part, our neshama, should always remain with Yaakov. We know, in other words, we should always feel ourselves and remain higher than really descending down to the ace of to going down there. Only the mamash, only our... That's how the Rebbe explains that. Brings down, we find in the, uh, the Rambam, for example, he brings down there's two ways of serving Hashem. Uh, this is talking about besides serving Hashem when you do a mitzvah, you light the Shabbos candles, you make a bracha, you make a blessing, you help somebody else, you give tzedakah, all the mitzvahs. Those are obvious ways of serving Hashem. But there's two ways of serving Hashem even without actually serving Hashem. So you can go on your business, doing your regular day-to-day stuff. You're not in the shul, and you're not reading a holy book, and you're not doing any visible mitzvah, and yet you can be serving Hashem. 
Maimonides writes about it, and he brings two levels over there. One is from a verse in Mishlei, that's Proverbs, uh, chapter 3, verse 6. Again, I did This verse basically says, the key words are, B'chol drachecho da'ehu. Drachecha means your ways. Bechol means in all your ways. Da'ehu, no Hashem. In other words, while you are doing your own ways, you're doing your own thing, it's your ways. You're going on your daily business. Da'ehu, you can know Hashem. So what does this mean? You're walking in the street. You're going for a walk. And then you realize Hashem's greatness, Hashem's specialty, Hashem's divine protection. is So it's your ways. You're doing your own business. You're not even doing anything for Hashem. And yet you know Hashem. You see Hashem in the singing of the bird, in the growing of the beautiful flowers, in whatever you come across. You meet up with somebody, you get to know Hashem just from your regular daily activities. You're not even doing anything. It's called dra Checho. It means it's your ways. It's your, it's you're going for a walk, you're eating, you're doing business, and yet you see Hashem, you can know Hashem just from your regular mundane things. That's one way. But there's another way which is brought down in the Pirkei Avot, and actually, uh, this is the first step, I brought it the second step, but the first step is, uh, what you do, v'chol ma'asecha, everything you do, yihiyu l'shem shamayim, should be for the sake of heaven. Basically what it means, what we were saying before, but this is the first level, you're doing business. You're going for a walk. You're doing your regular stuff. It's your actions. You, L'Shem Shamayim, they should be for the sake of heaven. In other words, what's the purpose? What am I doing in this? I'm doing, I'm going for a walk, so I'll be healthy. I'll have the fresh air, I'll be healthy. And if I'm healthy and I'm strong, my mind will be strong. And if my mind is strong, then I'll be able to love Hashem. I'll be able to have awe from Hashem. I'll be able to study Torah. So while you're doing, you're, I'm exercising, I am eating, drinking, anything you do, the first step is, is what you're doing should be for a purpose. So what is it that you're doing? You're doing a regular, your own stuff. But yet, we're saying that it should be for the purpose of Hashem. L'shem Shemayim. The second step is actually, Bechol D'rachecho Da'ehu. That in the ways, in all your ways you know Hashem. Not only are you doing it for a purpose, but you're actually seeing Hashem in your walk itself. In what you are, it's not 
for something, for a goal, for another purpose, but it's actually for seeing Hashem. In your life, you can see Hashem. It's like uh, enjoying a good meal on Shabbat. That meal on Shabbat is not a physical meal for something more, but the meal itself is, becomes a mitzvah. In other words, you get an appreciation. You get an appreciation for everything that Hashem has created. Um, in your own life. There's a story told about the Alter Rebbe. There was once a important guest that was coming to visit the Alter Rebbe. And because it was an important guest, so therefore all of the community got together and all the women who were in the kitchen, they all wanted to have a part and they wanted to cook. So they divided up all the tasks between all of the women and they forgot to divide who's going to salt the soup. (laughs) Who's going to put the salt in the soup? I guess they used a little soap, you know, not for the high blood pressure people there, but maybe they weren't aware of it, but they used used some, some of it. What happened? Since each one remembered later on about the salt, so when nobody else saw, they put the salt into the soup. And each one saw, at the end of the day, you had five, seven women putting in salt (laughs) in the soup. So then later on, they brought the food in front of the Alter Rebbe, in front of the guest, this important guest, so the Alter Rebbe, he just ate it normally as he normally did. But the guest, he tasted it and he put it to the side. So the Alter Rebbe asked him, how come you're not eating? So he says, but it's oversalted. <laughs> he says, I can't eat it. So the Alter Rebbe says that while he was still by the teacher in Mizrich, he didn't feel the food, the taste in the food it, he was so removed he didn't taste the food so he, he basically he ate he ate but his eating was on such a level that it was all for the service of Hashem it wasn't about there was no part of it even the taste of the food didn't impact him now this is not a level that anybody can come to on such a level, but it really what it means is how much of our physicality is really taking us, taking up our space by us. If a person in the beginning, so you can serve Hashem with your soul and you can do things for this purpose of Hashem, like we said in the way of L'Shem Shomayim, do things for the sake of heaven. But when you get into a higher level, you get into a level in which all that you see is Hashem in whatever you do. You don't, 
your whole life, you see things in the world, people that can really see things, they don't see physical, material things, they, they see Hashem everywhere. They see in everything that happens in their lives, and everything that happens, whatever goes on in the world, they only see Hashem. That means, that's a, a pretty hard life. But when it comes to uh, Yutis Kislev, uh, it's a special time to actually reflect on this teaching of Hasidus, which was meant really to bring out the deeper part of ourselves. You know, so we have, you know, who we think we are. That's on the external level. But then we have a deeper layer, a much more intense inside, which when it comes to the time of Yutas Kislev revealing, Hasidus revealing the insides, we can reveal within ourselves this extra deeper level. So our first level, we have to reveal in ourselves that what we do should be for Hashem's purposes. But then we move up to a higher level that our whole being, whatever we do, is just for Hashem. There's nothing else. There's no world. There's no separation. It becomes, everything in our lives becomes just Hashem. Just, uh, we see, in all the ways, we know Hashem. We see Hashem in, in everything that we do. Um, okay, so I wanted to go uh, the story of the Alter Rebbe I just told you about the soup and uh, I wanted to go over another part of the Parsha, this is not related to Yutas Kislev, but just to go over another section of the portion in which we read, this is to the ends of the Parsha it so turns out that most of the time when I, I give over, we give over something in the beginning of the Parsha and something for the end of the Parsha and that means that we have to cover everything in between ourselves. There's so much to cover. So uh, we read something very interesting. So what happens? So uh, Yaakov sends him the gift. Then we have the whole story with Dina. She's being captured by Shechem. And we have a lot of a lot of stories that go on in the Parsha. But until we come into the end, and we read something uh, amazing. Over here it says that at the end of the day, uh, when Yaakov moved back to his father, he's back in, in Canaan, the land of Canaan. So it says like this, it says, Esau took his wives, his sons, and his daughters, and all of his family, and all of his acquired, uh, that he acquired, and all of his animals, and all that he has acquired in the land of Canaan, and he left to a land because of his brother Yaakov. What does it mean he left because of his brother Yaakov? He left brother Yaakov. So the verse tells you there were, they had too much fortune. It was too much from them being able to live together. Because the land where they were living could not carry them because of all the cattle that they had. So they couldn't be there. Ace of leaves and Yaakov stays. Mm-hmm. That's towards the end of the Parsha. So Rashi ah, says over here, 
what does it mean that the land could not sustain them, couldn't hold them, couldn't carry them? So Rashi says, because there was not enough feed for all the animals. Wasn't enough feed for all to feed all the animals. So Esau picked up and left. You know, we had a similar story before, Loit and Avraham. They were fighting over there before, and he left because of, then Lot left because of it. So it wasn't enough. But here we have, Rashi brings down, a very interesting Medrash Agada, an Agadic Medrash. It says that the reason that he left was because of his brother Yaakov. What does it mean because of his brother Yaakov? Because there was a, a debt that was due to be paid. What was the debt that was due to be paid? Way back earlier in the uh, portion of Lech Lecha, okay, in chapter 15, verse 13, Avram has this dream, the dream which is called that Hashem makes a covenant with him. And what does Hashem say? Hashem says that your seed will be a stranger. And they will be in another land. They'll make him work. Basically, that they're going to have, your seed is going to have a hard time. And somebody, the seed of Abraham or the seed of Yitzchak has to pay the price. So therefore, Esav says, I'm leaving. I'm out of here. You know what? He says, I don't need the gift. I don't want this land. And neither do I want to pay the debt. I don't want to be in a strange land. So the reason why he left in one interpretation from the Agada is because there was a debt to pay for the one who gets the land of Canaan. Esau said, I don't want the land of Canaan and I don't want to pay the debt, so I'm out of here. And then Rashi says another reason. Because he was ashamed. Because Esau was ashamed that he sold his firstborn rights to his brother Yaakov, to his younger brother. So that's why he left. Okay, Rebbe has a whole long explanation, but the Rebbe asks a very simple question. He says, but in the Pasuk it gives you a reason directly. Why did they not stay together? Why could they not stay together? It is because... There wasn't enough feed. That's what it says in the Pasuk. And the verse, why does Rashi come up with other reasonings that are against what the Pasuk says? The Pasuk gives the reason because the land could not carry, provide enough feed for both of their cattle. And Rashi says, no, he left for another reason. Either he left, Rashi brings down first, because he didn't want the land, because he didn't want to pay the price, 
that comes with the land, or because he was ashamed. But that doesn't say in the positive. Why does Rashi say something different? And the Rebbe brings in a beautiful insight over here. The Rebbe says that it's a little bit surprising. So, Yaakov was away all this time, right? And Yaakov comes back. He comes back, right? Now, who was there? Esav was there. Now, that's a whole other question because it seems like Esav still lived there even though he was already, he went to Edom before, he tells Edom, but apparently he was all over the place, but he still was living together with his parents in Eretz Canaan, he was in the land of Canaan. Now who comes, a newcomer comes? Yaakov. So Yaakov moves in, after being with Lavan for 20 years, and we said before 34 years, and two years on the road, it's 36 years. Now all of a sudden... Yaakov comes, Esau picks up and he leaves. So, question is, why was Esau such a gentleman? Soon as Yaakov comes, he decides to leave because there's not enough. Let him tell to Yaakov, there's not enough feed here. You go. What Rashi is trying to explain, or the Rebbe explains, that there was other reasons. Why did Yaakov why did Esau wait till now? Esau had other reasons that he really didn't want to be there. This was just the impetus. He left now because there was a lot of cattle there and he felt that Yaakov is there, let him take it. Not because he was such a gentleman. He had shame for Yaakov and because he didn't want to pay the debt, so he he, he decided to leave. Basically, why did he leave right now? Because Yaakov all of a sudden came over here, and now it becomes a choice between who gets to stay, who gets to go. So he says, you know, I really don't want to have anything to do with this, and I'm ready to leave. So it turns out that there's two reasons for Yaakov uh, staying. And the main reason was because right now when they came, there wasn't enough to support them both. But Esau had other reasons in mind from before. He didn't leave before because it wasn't so bad. But now that he found something, a reason, now he goes ahead and leaves. So, question is, really, Esau also was in a strange land, because the fact that he went to the land of Seir, that was a strange land. But the Rebbe says like this, that even in a strange land, you can live there and become settled. And you can live there like you know, that's not where I belong. We Jews live in Baruch Hashem in the United States. I mean, whether you like the president, you don't like the president, the new one, the old one. But still, in our day-to-day life, we live, thank God, a very good life. Baruch Hashem. Physically, most of us, you know, 
I'm not saying there's a lot of tourists now with the pandemic, but most of us reasonably, if you consider what people had to go through, I want to leave you with a beautiful story uh, with my sister. We're talking about having what to go through, and this should be also for a healing for her. Amidst Shem, actually, we'll just finish this thought, and then I'll go to the story. She, uh, the, that, um, we feel ourselves like we belong here. That's no good. We need to know that we belong in Eretz Yisrael. We belong in the Holy Land. We, we belong with Mashiach coming, redeeming us. We have something more than just this material, physical life that we're in. We have some powerful connections to Hashem, to Israel. That's where we really are. So while Esau in Har Seir, he settled there and he's happy. But we have to feel we're still strangers. If we're not in Israel, we are not strangers. And unfortunately, you know, it's very real that some of the anti-Semitism that is doormat, that you don't feel and you don't hear, it is just pops up so easily that you can get to really understand that this is not really the place where we really ultimately belong. And, you know, Baruch Hashem, as I said before, considering everything, uh, you know, we really live relatively peaceful and but that's why it's important for us to always keep in mind that we're still not, this is not our home. This is not where we want to be. This is not, yeah, we're here for various different reasons. I'm not saying whether we're right or wrong, but that's the fact. But the bottom line is we still want to be in Eretz Yisrael. So while Esau lived in a strange land, but he settled there. And he settled there, so that's considered his land. But we... As long as we're in Golos, we don't feel ourselves that we're really home. Our home is Israel. That's where we belong. That's where we really are. So what am I saying? So my sister ended up calling me up like just two weeks ago. I want you to understand, my sister has an extended family, children and grandchildren, great-grandchildren, marriages. So Baruch Hashem, she has a, a large family of her own. And what it does is that, you know, you become a little bit... Uh, further apart, because, you know, we have our family, she has her family, so we're not as close as you would think as brothers and sisters who grew up in the same home. Matter of fact, I never grew up together with my sister, because by the time I was four, she got married and she moved out. But of course, she was like my older sister, always I looked up to her, and they would they lived in Pittsburgh all these years, so it's not that far, and they would come to us, we would go there, and we're, uh, but then when her kids got married, and everything, and have their own Kanainahara, you know, big families, everybody, so became a little bit distant. So now, you know, her husband, my brother-in-law, passed away, and, you know, I called a few times, but all of a sudden she calls me last uh, Saturday night, two weeks ago, uh, which means more than two weeks, uh, Saturday night, and she calls me up and she's talking, I thought maybe she's losing it a little bit, you know, things that she was saying that I wasn't sure if she's really... Uh, altogether uh, cognitive, uh, but she tells me this story. Now, I knew this story for many, many years. I didn't know the end of the story, but she told me this story. She said that these people went over to this woman, went over to her. His name is, I know the name because I know the person. They passed away a long time already. Her name is Dasa Levin. Dasa Levin. 
he says that she told her that she saved her life. That she saved, that my sister saved her life. Okay. So, what's the story? My my parents, my mother told me this story as well. So, my parents got married right in the beginning of World War II. And then when the war broke out, many of the Jewish people, they ran further away into Uzbekistan. And they went to a place called Samarkand. Over there, they went over there. And uh, and they went, they lived there, and it was still a very difficult time for the, for the Jewish people over there. And my sister was born over there. And once you, and still, you know, the KGB, the Secret Service, the police, they were after, especially for everybody it was difficult. It was the war, and all people suffered, but a Jewish person, and especially a religious person like the Hasidim that were there, they suffered immensely. So, and my father was always worried, so they had inside the house, they had a cupboard, which had a hidden back, and the plan was that whenever a, if an agent ever came looking for my father, they would uh, hide behind the uh, cover. And my sister was a little girl. I mean, she went through a lot till she came to the United States. First they went to um, Austria and the DP camps, and then they went to Paris, and from Paris they went to um, uh, Bezon, that's uh, south of, uh, that's a uh, suburb of Paris, and then they went to Ireland, Dublin, till in 1953 they finally came to the United States. So she grew up basically between Samarkand and uh, and the DP camps and the uh, displaced person camps and 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 uh, Paris, France, and uh, Ireland. You know, by the time she came to the United States, she was maybe eighteen years, uh, no, sixteen years old. You know, so that's where. So and her teacher in one of the places in Paris was this woman Dasa Levin who told her that she saved her life. So what happened? So these agents, the KGB comes knocking at the door of my parents in Samarkand. And the signal was there. My father goes and hides over there, behind in the closet over there. And they start asking my mother, where, you know, where's the man of the house with this and that? And she says, there's nobody, you know, there's no... And my sister starts screaming in Russian. She says, Tamoy Papa, Tamoy Papa, my father is there. (laughs) And she goes to the class. She saw him go away. And she... Gave out. My father came out shivering and white. There was nothing, nothing he can do. He walked out. And they didn't do anything to him. You know, they let him go. They warned him, you know, whatever, but they didn't, they didn't bother him. What happened really, the end of the story, this Dasa Levine, who taught my sister, told her that um, they, she and her sister, this Dasa and her sister, they were like 10-year-olds at the time. And whenever the people needed to go to the black market or to collect something to do, they would send these girls. What are they going to do? They're not going to bother a 10-year-old girl. So they used to send them. And mysteriously, these girls were all over the place doing all kinds of of, of shtick over there, all kinds of uh, dirty tricks. And they could never catch them. Finally, they cornered them when they came into my parents' house. That's where they came in to do something. 
And because of the whole commotion that my sister started screaming, Tamoyi Papa, Tamoyi Papa, that my father is there, they were able to escape and run away. And the reason they didn't do anything to my father, they didn't come for my father. They came for these girls. (laughs) And they were going after them. And they finally figured where they are. And that escape, she says, that saved their lives because it's only because of this commotion that was placed on that. So my father got away with this being scared. So I think about these things and I shudder. I say, look, you know, look what they had to go through for nothing. They didn't do anything. They didn't bother and just... They were persecuted. They were uh, chased, and they were they were they were afraid all the time. So we live over there. They knew that they don't belong over there, but we start feeling by accident we do belong over here. We think to ourselves, "But over here, this place is beautiful." That's what we have to remember: that a, a yid in exile is never happy. Is never our place. Our place is Israel. And our place is spirituality. So, may Hashem help that in the merit of these great tzaddikim, the Magid of Mizrich, of the Alter Rebbe, their days of uh, celebration, that we should be inspired to follow in their teaching, to try to do what's right, connect to Hashem, especially connect to Hashem in an inner way, not only externally, but have our souls come out of our inside as the Hasidic teaching is to take the hidden parts of Torah and bring it out to the revelation. Okay, that's our share.